The Old Testament reading for this seventh Sunday after Pentecost comes from Genesis chapter 18, starting with verse 20. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked? Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. The epistle comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 2, starting with verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the flesh, putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also raised with him in faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all 
our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. According to St. Luke, the eleventh chapter. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. In our Gospel lesson today, we find the Lord Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray to their Father in heaven. They ask him this, they say, please teach us to pray as, as John's disciples are teaching, are being taught. And so Jesus says, well, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. 
And this prayer, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's uh, been cherished by the church, by Christians, for 2,000 years. It's a prayer that God himself gives to us. It's a prayer straight from God that we can pray back to God. It's an example of how he wants his children to call on him. And the first thing that we might notice in this prayer is that God is a God who hears. The Lord of heaven, the Lord of earth, is not a carved image made out of rock or stone, made out of wood. He's not some God made in our own image, some God of our imagining, some God that can neither hear nor respond to our needs. He's not some creation of ours, but rather he is the creator, the one who made out of nothing everything that is, the, the seas, the land, the animals, the plants, the sun, the moon, the stars. There are, are many scriptures that speak about that creation. Not, not the creating of it, there are some of those too, but the creation itself and how it attests to God. Isaiah chapter 40 says, Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and see. Look around. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And he's talking there about the stars, the sun, the moon, the planets, but the stars, the galaxies. Who made these? Who keeps them in place? I'm interested in the James Webb Telescope. I, I had mentioned that earlier, but in looking at that kind of thing this last week, I came across uh, something about the Hubble Telescope, which is now old technology, right? Uh, the, the Hubble Telescope, soon after, like a month after it was put into space and it was, it was uh, soon after it was fixed, you know, it had that problem with its lens. They had to send the shuttle up to, to give it some new glasses. And soon after that was fixed, the astronomers said, let's dedicate a week's time and focus it on a piece of space that's empty. It's a good idea. It's expensive to send to, for this telescope, you know, the tasking of it, like where it points. And they said, let's spend a whole week and let's see what's there. And they were all excited. And they focused it on a little tiny patch of space 
that was empty. They could not see with Earth telescopes nothing. They had never seen anything in there before. They focused it there. And then when they finally collected the data and made an image, they found 5,500 galaxies in that one spot. Now, like I said, this is old technology because the, the Webb telescope is seeing beyond that. 5,500 galaxies. This little spot of space is one... How do I say this? 300... Uh, sorry, one thirty-two millionth of the sky. One thirty-two millionth. 5,500 galaxies. So I did a little math. Had to get my calculator out. 200 billion more galaxies in space that are unseen by telescopes on Earth. Right? This is beyond Earth telescopes. So even more than that. And how many stars in each galaxy in the universe? In our galaxy, it's something like 100 billion. I forget what they say it is. That's in one galaxy. Ours is a mediocre galaxy. So the, the numbers are beyond my imaginations. I can't even get my head around how many stars are out there. The James Webb seems, sees beyond the Hubble, and you know what? They're finding more galaxies, like you know, trillions more. What's beyond that? They keep saying that the Webb is seeing to the beginnings of the Big Bang and stuff like that. Well, they don't know that. Every time they get a better telescope, they see more out there. It is amazing to me that God made this universe like this with these stars, put them in place, names them all, holds them in place, and nobody can even see them. Until now, today, we're seeing them. That's amazing. Just amazing to me. Psalm 8 says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have set in place, what is man? that you are mindful of him. You, you, think about, you think about what's out there, but from the view out there, looking back at our galaxy, what's this little star, and then these little planets going around the star, and then this little speck of a person on that planet. First of all, that's what Jesus became, took on our humanity, became one of those specks, walked among us, but secondly, like Psalm 8 says, how is God even concerned with us? The Son of Man that you care for Him. How do, we, how do we approach a God like this? How do we approach this being? Throughout history, gods have been invented by people by men. And these gods are, are generally vengeful gods, angry gods, right? Full of wrath and destruction. Gods that have to be appeased. Maybe by a little morsel of food set aside. Maybe by a burnt offering. Maybe by a cut and shedding some blood of mine. Maybe by beating myself or depriving myself or some way to try and either get the God's attention or make the God happy with me. 
it's almost like there is some innate sense in us that we are unworthy. That there is a higher being out there and that we have no way to make that being happy with us. We invent some ways. We hope this works kind of thing. In Holy Scripture, the true and only God reveals himself to be perfect and holy and also to demand perfection and holiness. God goes to great pains to tell us that we have fallen short, that the sin that dwells within us drives a wedge between us and God. So why would God even listen to our prayers? Why would we think that he would have anything to do with us, let alone grant our requests or, or even hear our prayers? Scripture answers that question too. God does require perfection, holiness, purity, and God supplies it. God supplies that perfection himself in the life and death and resurrection of his own son. In the, in the sending of Jesus to be a speck, in the sending of Jesus to be, to be one of us, and it's so fascinating that we hear there in Colossians, you know, that all the fullness of the deity dwelt in him. How can that be? How can the fullness of the deity dwell in that human form walking among us? But we take it as truth because the scriptures tell us that. In the sending of Jesus into the world to become man, we see the tenderness, we see the love, we see the mercy and the grace of God. That although we have broken the commandments, although we sin daily in our thoughts, in the things that we say, in the things that we do, in the things that we don't do, although we were enemies of God, although we deserved eternal punishment, God in his great love and mercy promised a savior to the world. And in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, we read about the coming of Jesus into the world, the true light that gives light to everyone. John says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God through Jesus Christ because of his sacrificial death and resurrection for us, we have been given the right to be called sons and daughters of God himself. We can never earn that right. Our promises to put away our sin would be worthless. Our sacrifices, our self-deprivation, um, all of it would be worthless. Never enough to make up for our sin. But the right to be called sons and daughters of God is a gift, a free gift given to us in Jesus Christ. Paul writes in his letter to the church at Rome 
You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We who once were enemies of God now get to call him Father. And this word Abba is a, is a very endearing term, kind of like we might say Daddy or something like that. It's very close. It, it speaks about that relationship that God has with us, that we have with God, that he has brought us into. And Jesus says, when you pray, address your prayer to your Father in heaven. That's amazing. It doesn't just say, when you want to pray to Yahweh, say these things, you know. No, he is not some distant God. He is now, by your baptism, your Father. Martin Luther in the small catechism talking about the Lord's Prayer and talking about this word Father says, with these words God tenderly invites us to believe that He is our true Father and that we are His true children so that with all boldness and confidence we may ask Him as dear children, ask their dear Father. And so just like a loving father wants his children to come to him with their needs, just as God, just so, God invites us to come to him in prayer. He wants us to come, even with our worries and our fears. He wants to hear our disappointments and our hurts. And he loves it when you pour out your heart to your dear father in heaven. And to illustrate how ready God is to hear and to answer our prayers, Jesus tells a story about a man who, out of the blue, receives a visitor in the middle of the night. And he's got no food. The man's been traveling. So he goes to his neighbor, knocks on the door, and the, the man says, go away. <laughs> you know, it's one o'clock in the morning. What are you doing here? Come back later. The man keeps knocking. Right? And he's going to keep on knocking until the guy gets up and gets some food for him and gives it to him and says, here, get out of here. You know? And God, Jesus says, if your neighbor like that is willing to give you food just because you're persistent, how much more your heavenly Father who has done so much for you, how much more is he ready and willing and able to give you help? And then Jesus goes on and says, you know, even earthly fathers, sinners though they may be, will not respond to their children's request for food and give them a snake, give them a serpent. Or if, if they want uh, an egg, you know, give them a stone or something like that. Your earthly fathers know how to do good things for the children. How much more your heavenly father? How much more will he do good things? And in our Old Testament lesson, we see amazingly Abraham's boldness. Don't you just, I cringe when we read through that. When he goes down to 20, skips down to 20, and then skips down to 10. And God's patience with him. For 10, I will not destroy the city. God would have us come to him in prayer just as boldly as Abraham. God would have us see that we are right in God's face just like Abraham was face to face with Yahweh. And Abraham was not afraid to ask out of concern for his nephew. 
And God said, if I find ten, I will not destroy the city. And you know the city was destroyed. But God saved Lot. Saved him from the fire. Paul writes in our epistle lesson, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Those legal demands were death and eternity in hell. That's what we've been forgiven. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Think of what God has done, how much God has done for us. And if he's done all of that, will he not be willing to listen to our prayers and to continue to give us good things? Because Jesus Christ has canceled our debt and removed our sin from us. We don't come to God. We come to God as sinners, repentant and forgiven. Dear children, you and I have direct access to the very throne of heaven, which is a place more wonderful and marvelous and, and uh, incomprehensible as the universe is. You think God's throne is more grand than the whole universe. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God would have us unburden ourselves daily, even, even more than daily, several times a day, constantly, all day long. He wants us to pour out our hearts to him, to share our concerns and our worries, to confess our sins, to ask his forgiveness, to put our families in his hands, to give our future over to his care, to pray for healing for those who are ill, to give comfort to those who are in mourning, to give wisdom and direction and protection to those who are governing all the things that we can imagine to ask of God. He loves to hear it from our lips. The writer to the Hebrews says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And once we've done that, once we have approached God's throne of grace and unburdened ourselves, then to sigh in relief, knowing that God is doing good for us, working good for us all of the time, for all of his children. I think about um, the time before cell phones. Every now and then in a cartoon or a movie or something, we see a rotary phone and we always point it out to our kids. See that? See that? We used to use those. What an incredible time we live in where we can be reached at the press of a button. You don't need to press the button anymore. You can just say, call so-and-so. It's getting more and more like James Kirk, right? Enterprise. Scotty. I always wonder, why doesn't everybody else answer? Why is it always Scotty? If you have car trouble, you won't be able to call 
the CEO of Ford or Toyota. If you're concerned about what China's goals are militarily, you cannot call Xi Jinping, however you say his name. You're not going to be able to get a direct line to Jared Polis or to Michael Hancock. And in fact, I seriously doubt that you could dial up the CEO of Kroger, Rodney McMullen, and ask that they stock sugar-coated cocoa bomb cereal. How incredible is it then that you have the ear of the creator of the universe? At any time, in any place, under any circumstance at all. The one who spoke the stars into existence and who knows the name of everyone, who made the oceans, who put the clouds in the sky, who makes rain to water the earth, who controls even the beating of your heart. How incredible is it that he is available to you at all times, that he is willing to listen to you, that he wants to listen to you, that he waits for you to call upon him in prayer who says that we can address him not as the CEO, not as the God of all, not as the creator, but as your dear Father. He is eager to listen. He is ready to help. We can be confident that whatever his answer to our prayers is, it is good, good for us. We read that uh, portion of scripture there from Isaiah 40, but I didn't finish the chapter, and I want to do that now. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall not walk and not faint. Are you faint? Are you weary? <laughs> I know I am. I encourage you today, and I'm encouraging myself as well, to make today a day of prayer. Prayer to your Heavenly Father. And I want to suggest to us all that we make time especially this week, several times each day, to speak with God about the joys and the concerns of our hearts, to lift up others in prayer this week because today, this week, this year is the beginning of the rest of your life. And our dear Father in heaven encourages us to make it a life of prayer. What a joy. What a privilege. Amen. 
peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.